McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to your forecast episode 149. Well, we're back for the summer, and it's time for that time of year that you guys like. It's the transfer special episode with me, Freddie, and our special guest. Doing the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Oh, I'm not so bad. It's been, it has been a while since we've done a pod for nearly a month now. Enjoyed the summer, spent a lot of it working, but a lot of it seeing friends, enjoying the gorgeous weather on Costa del Pompey. I'm not very used to it, but hey, and now we have the favourite pods that we always get good feedback on the transfer specials, so, so I'm all sound at the moment. Yeah, people have messaged in and asked where it is, and quite luckily for us, to be honest, Freddie, Danny Cowley and the transfer team have been pretty slow getting any any transfers off the mark. Well, this could be not as interesting an episode, but Pompey have only signed one player, so it's going to be a banger, but... I'll just bring you in now. How are you, Gabe Sutton? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, great to uh, be on the show again. So uh, look forward to getting into the Pompey deals that have already been, well, the deal that's already been done, I should use singular for that, and the deals that will be done, um, we we, we think or we hope uh, for the rest of the summer. So can't wait to get started. Yeah, no, everyone loved the episode we did with you last last year, so it's great to have you back on the podcast. And just to frame it for everyone today, we're going to be focusing today on midfielders and attackers. Is it just too much content otherwise to go through every single position? So we're going mm. to focus today on midfielders and attackers. I think they're the positions Pompey need the most recruitment going forward, especially with the new edition of Marlon Pack signed yesterday. So we're recording this Today, I just had to double check what day it is, but it's Thursday. I know that because I'm at home and the, and the rail strikes are on rather than being coming back from work. So well, I won't babble too much because we're going to get into it. But Freddie looks like he's itching to talk about his process and how he selected his players. So I'll pass over back to you, Fred. Yeah, I usually like to have some sort of <clears throat> remit for selecting players. Um, Hugh mentioned it earlier, strikers and attackers. That's the main thing for Pompey this summer because... For example, the club has no recognised strikers at the moment, which is a rare position to be in. So for strikers, the main the main two things I was looking at, I'm going to assume, I'm not going to like pick a formation because Cowley played several formations last season, a four, mainly a 3-4-3 three, three, or, or a 3-4-1-2 or a 4-2-3-1. So he can, he'll sometimes play a cam, sometimes he won't, so, for example. So for strikers, we're looking for a George Hurst-esque striker, a complete forward who can hold the ball up very nicely, has a burst of pace on the dribble, is fairly clinical in the one-on-one settings and can also also pass the ball and bring other players into into play effectively. 
We're also looking for a tenacious striker, as I call it, a pressing striker, mm. somebody who again is comfortable on the ball, is very it has a is very mobile away from possession. That's a big thing. Um, we had Aidan O'Brien last season at the moment, at the time of recording, he's still not signed, so we have no idea if he will resign or not. We're going to assume for this purposes that he won't be. And I think those two strikers will fit either of Danny Cowley's formations. Either he'll play the complete forward or more like a target man forward, mm. or he will play the target man forward with like a pressing forward next to him. So that's it for strikers. And when we look at cams, more like a more like an attacking cam. Marcus Harness has gone beyond just a creative playmaker whenever he plays cam. He always gets involved in around the penalty area. So you have to get that skill set as well. And then also we're looking at maybe right wingers and potentially left wingers, depending on transfers in or out that may happen. Again, someone who's mobile off the ball, someone who's very aggressive in the press, someone with a keen eye for a cross, because that's Pompey's biggest weakness sometimes last season. And so someone who is also a goal threat, who likes to take on players, has that drive, which Danny Cowley talks about a lot. Players Mm. who will drive play, that's the big that's the main thing that we're taking away from all of these positions uh gabe from you when you watched ports of last season what, what, what was the one thing that was missing since the side didn't get in the playoffs what was the one thing that was missing for you well i think uh first of all i think if i think of portsmouth's best performances it was that pressing, and I think that was quite a big part of the identity that uh, that Danny Cowley was trying to build in terms of being very aggressive uh, high up the pitch. And I think that that's something that's an identity that he's going to uh, really look towards. Um, I think that in terms of what was missing, do you know what, Freddie? For me, I think the challenge for Portsmouth is to try and build a squad that's a little bit more sustainable because your best players last season, um, Gavin Bazunu, George Hurst, um, these were all pl- players on loan. I think there's a few others and five or six players were, were, were at the club on loan. And as much as that's a huge benefit to have that sort of burst of short-term quality and, and Danny seems to think that, you know, you can get those best deals towards the end of, of the window. I also feel that, um, you, you will probably want to start building a squad that's a little bit more sustainable and something that can grow over the next season or two. And uh, I suspect that that's going to be the forefront of the recruitment. He'll want to still get two or three players of quality in, in the loan market, but he'll also want to try and build something more sustainable. Yeah, I think Pompey fans will be hoping we can sort of build that spine of the team, at least, Gabe, with permanent signings before we start maybe then dipping into the loan market to add that little bit extra to maybe get you over the line. You've only got to see what happens to teams like Lincoln, for instance, who lost key players like Brendan Johnson before and then mm. goes off to Nottingham Forest and then it's very hard to replace and they lose that. And, and, and Doncaster as well. They had a few good seasons with the loan market, but then once the loanies sort of went and they didn't really hit the jackpot the next time and they, they've just gone down last season. So I think that's the thing that you've got to be a little bit careful of when you rely too much on on loans. Yeah, and the club's talked about as well having a sort of strategy of buying sort of younger players and then, you know, having them sort of develop at the club. So it'd be interesting to see whether they go with that. Obviously, not the same. You do need some veterans as well. Like we'll talk about Marlon Pack. I know Freddie's looked at the analytics as well. So we'll just dive into that quickly. But 
I think it'd be interesting to see if they do stick with that policy and they can get good value because, you know, young players who are talented are tend to be quite expensive. So hmm. finding value is what we've tried to do for now when we've done our preparation. We'll see if Pompey can can pull that off. Freddie, do you want to Sorry. Yeah, I, just just to kind of add to what you said, I think that there's quite a big sort of dilemma for a lot of sort of recruitment teams because on the one hand, you, you have these players that have a really good reputation in sort of youth youth circles where, you know, he's played for England at, you know, under-19s level or he's really highly rated or he's once sought after by Arsenal and all this kind of thing. And that plays a part because if you've got a 21-year-old with sort of high potential, that's huge. But on the other hand, I think you've kind of got to balance that with players who are a little bit proven, they've done it before, and you know that you can rely on them in the senior game. So it's kind of getting that balance between having the high potential players, but also having a core of players that you know you can rely on, which I think is someone that Marlon Pack probably comes into. Yeah, absolutely. I think <clears throat> Pack definitely ticks that last box and you could even tell from social media when he was signed, the mood lifted a lot. And I had a look at his analytics and compared him to other championship midfielders. And when I may say midfielders, I mean sitting midfielders who will sit right in the middle of the pitch like Pack does. For players who had more than 900 minutes, so that's 10 full games, his defensive duels per 90 was 7.14. With a, with a success rate of 57.06, which is slightly below average for championship level. But he was playing for Cardiff City. We were a less competitive side. And just think of the amount, the quality of the centre midfielders playing in the championship at that time. And a lot of his other analytics, <clears throat> aerial duels, averaging 4.90 with 57.58% accuracy. And his possession adjusted interceptions of 567 was average with midfielders at Championship Standard who have played a lot of games. So bear those things in mind as he is dropping down. I personally think it was a bit of a coup signing. Apparently he was linked with Derby before the takeover bid collapsed. And he's on a two-year deal where we'll probably get the last bits of the prime of his career. Even if he doesn't improve and stays level where he is, I still think it's a tremendous signing. And the depth in that centre midfield area now, you have Morel, Pack, Thompson, Tunnicliffe, mm. and then Mingi as the fifth. That's that's pretty decent, all things considered. The, the other thing to, to add to that, Freddie, is um, you look at the number of games that Marlon Pack has played for the clubs that he's been at. You know, it's 100, well, it's, it's loads for Bristol City because he was part of um, their side that won the League One title at this level in 14-15. By the way, that was one of the best teams I've ever seen at this level, um, that, that Bristol City side. And then played uh, however many seasons for Bristol City in the Championship. I think it was four or five. Um, pretty much, yeah, a regular starter for for, the, for those seasons, and then hundred odd games for Cardiff, and I think that consistency and reliability, and just being able to do these simple things well, I think that's so important. And um, Louis Thompson's a midfielder I really like, and I think had he been able to stay fit in his career you're probably looking at a championship plus career for him, but he has got those those injury issues. Um, with Marlon Pack, there is that reliability, which I think is a, a massive plus and, and a coup, as you say, Freddie. Absolutely. And <clears throat> his passing is also just under below average or average in certain metrics. Passes to the final third, which Danny Cowley harps on about a lot because he wants his place to be progressive in possession. He averaged 6.78 per 90 with a 68.45% accuracy, which again is, is in 
average to the top third echelon of, of championship. And the championship, in comparison to League One, the gap now is getting bigger every season. You could, some people have argued to me that the gap between championship and League One is bigger than Prem and championship. Oh, I, I don't know if I agree with the gaps getting bigger, Freddie. I think that for half the league, there's a massive gap. But I think for if you look at it last season, um, Plymouth Argyle got to 80 points and you might, as Pompey fans, uh, have, a, have a wry smile on your face. But they, they got to 80 points and they didn't get into the, the playoffs last season, uh, which shows that I think in terms of how competitive it was to get into the top six. Um, and then you look into the championship, there's, I'm a Birmingham fan. Um, I'm not sure necessarily that we'd beat Portsmouth with the, the squad that we've got. Um, Reading, I think, of uh, uh, quite a poor side as well. Um, I think that they'll probably be in trouble next season. So I think that if you look at the, the better teams in League One and, and probably some of the worst teams in the Championship that kind of got away with it a little bit last year, I don't agree that the, the gap's widening. If anything, I think you could argue that it's tightening. That's very positive. That's very positive, actually, because I just am being negative all the time, really, with that. <laughs> you being negative? He's taking the piss, Fred. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> no, joking. All right, let's start it off then. We'll just sort of kick it off with a bit of a round table thing. We'll then forever go through, mention some names. Gabe, just jump in wherever you want. So, sure. you know, you want to recommend anyone, you want to commentate on it, just just shoot from the hip, really. It's, it's, it's conversational, you know all this, but I'm just letting the listeners know what we're going to do. So, let's get going. Fred, do you want to start us off? And should we start with strikers? Should we go strikers first? Yeah, I can do. Like we said, we've gone over strikers heavily, purely because Portsmouth have no strikers. It's one of those rare summers where a fan says, oh, we need three strikers. And it's probably true. We do need three strikers, considering we don't have any out-and-out strikers. One player who I really want to get Gabe's opinion on, he's been around League One for ages. I think we've probably mentioned him on previous shows as well. I'm trying to remember how long he's got left on this contract, but as a mould of a player, he sort of fits both roles to a certain extent. As that complete striker or that tenacious striker, like I mentioned, I really want Pompey to go after Colby Bishop, 25 years Ooh. old from Accrington, mm. scores multiple types of goals last season in all comps, 14 goals from 15.86 XG in 47 games, has a high volume of aerial duels, 16.34, which is huge in comparison, mm. with a 43% uh, accuracy rate, which is quite good considering that volume. Really, he uh, fits an Accrington style of play that's slightly different, maybe a bit more direct. You'll know Accrington style of play much better than me. Mm. But... Whenever I see him, he's always tenacious. He's always on the on the centre half. He's always getting involved in tackles, and it fits. And I, I I think he'll be he has that presence of that complete forward up front. My only concern really is potentially the passing. He has a high number of deep completions, which is passes in and around the penalty area, which is good. But maybe passing a tiny bit further away from the penalty area and around the box with possession might be a bit different for him. But I wondered your thoughts on Colby Bishop. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, I think that one of the interesting things about Colby Bishop, he's six foot one, 
but he's uh, he's got a very good spring on him, so he can at times act as uh, as a bit of a target man, even though uh, he's not necessarily got the height you'd you'd always associate with with a target man. And um, yeah, I it's interesting you mentioned the um, the the sort of the, the passing aspect because I think when he actually first went to Stanley uh, in his first season, it was Dion Charles, his strike partner, that tended to do all the running and all the hassling and harrying. Not that Cole. Bishop didn't work hard because I think he he's got a very reliable work rate, but that maybe Dion Charles was the one that was a little bit more aggressive against defenders, and you sort of running in behind, and you had Dion Charles dropping into pockets a little bit and linking up play. I do think that he's got that side of his game in in his locker as well, and I think that if you asked me whether you'd have him as the the complete striker or as the uh, the tenacious striker. I'd probably lean towards the the complete striker, but that's not, he's got a very good work rate as well, and I think he's got quite a good range of qualities. And I'd like to see him playing in a side that's maybe got some slightly uh, loftier aspirations, because it's got a little bit more quality in and around him. Because I think uh, he's someone that could could benefit from that. All right, and I'll turn to a slightly different type of striker, maybe more on the sort of target man striker. I'm going to go with Jake Beasley from Blackpool. Now, Michael Appleton's taken over there after the Neil Crishley saga of deciding to become an assistant manager rather than, than a head coach. And guys I speak to at Blackpool say there's going to be a bit of a turnover there, and I don't think he's going to be necessarily favoured. Now, obviously, Blackpool have got people like Yates, for instance, who are already quite established strikers at the club. And they're saying mm. that maybe Beasley might be the the sort of odd man out. I know he did well for Rochdale when he was their player of the season. Yeah. 14 goals, I believe, and I looked it up for them. Uh, he got two goals, one assist in six games of the championship. Not bad. Two against that. us, I think it was, actually. Oh, no. I've just given you nightmare sort of like flashbacks to you, game. <laughs> uh, you have, yeah. But he's um, he's a very good target man. Um, I think he proved that at Rochdale, not only in the, the League One season, but also in the first half of their season in League Two, where he was such a big uh, reference point for, uh, for them. Um, Danny Cowley, when he was at Lincoln City manager, he had a, a target man called Matt Reed, who was uh, sort of, kind of all about bullying defenders and had that old school element. I think I think Jake Beasley is a little bit similar to that in a sense because um he's uh, he's kind of come up from non-leagues and maybe he was written off a little bit as a, as an EFL striker some people have doubted him but I think that's kind of given him that hunger whether he's someone that can um, I, th- I think really Neil Critchley at Blackpool signed him because he wanted an alternative target man to Gary Medine there. So if Gary Medine got uh, got injured, they'd have another sort of option as a reference point. I think with Michael Appleton as manager, he probably won't necessarily want to have two target men. So I think that probably nudges Jake Beasley towards being available. And um, yeah, I think if Cowley wants someone he can go direct to, I think Beasley is someone I'd recommend. I think with target man strikers, I think Cowley does like them, but he also wants a bit more than that, if that makes sense. He he, he mm. likes them to be very mobile. I think that's why George Hurst worked a lot. He didn't have high like numbers of dribbles, for example, but whenever you watched him, he always had that turn of pace, like well, once well, or twice and a half. Yeah, and just... Yeah. Just to kind of link um, link up on that, uh, Freddie, I think George Hurst, there was kind of like, there was a sort of style, although he's tall, there was kind of a stylish feel to him where, it, to, to my eyes, he, he wasn't like he was backing up against defenders and doing the ugly challenges. It was actually sometimes 
leaning forward a little bit and getting a flick on that way it was using his cleverness I think with Jake Beasley what you'd get is a, something slightly more old school slightly more robust slightly uglier as it as it were without offending Jake Beasley uh, do you know what I mean it's that kind of it, the rough side of his game I think is there so probably slightly different different qualities to George Hurst probably not quite as refined technically either but it'll bring as I say different qualities Mm, there's going to be uh, there's going to be positives and negatives from every player we looked at. Um, looking at some of the comparables that some of the players Ports have had, some of them don't have as good of analytics, for example. So it's going to be very interesting to go through these. Another player, I don't know how realistic this would be. I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility, but it could be a bit different. This is from a promoted side from League One. I was looking at Stephen Humphreys, 24 years old from Wigan Athletic. They have four strikers already. They brought in Josh McGuinness in January, who. I assume, would expect to stay even with Wigan getting promoted. And they have an owner who's willing to put more money in and they'd want to strengthen the squad. Humphreys had a lot of his minutes from the bench. Seven goals in all comps from 7.8 XG in 49 matches. He has a he has pedigree of scoring at League One level for both Rochdale and South End, I believe. And Wigan, I think, maybe as well for a few games mm, last season. Mm, he did, yeah. yeah. And the big thing is he's six foot and he dribbles a lot. He has 5.3 dribbles per 90 in all comps, which is huge for a target man striker with 49% accuracy. So he's around there as well, has a presence, will require a fee from Portsmouth, which probably, you know, they will always argue about whether Portsmouth will actually want to put fees in. But he is he is of that mould of a striker who is clinical, has a presence. His passing is, again, the weakness, I, I believe, out of all of those. I'm not sure what you what you think, Gabe. But what do you think of Stephen Humphreys from Wigan? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd instinctively think of him as a target man. I think that he's probably done his best work when he's played alongside someone that um, I, th- I think that sometimes when players are, are you know reasonably on the tall side, like six foot, there's that assumption that he's going to be good in the air. And I think he's got that in his locker, but I think he's probably better playing a little bit off the cuff and having someone that's going to run the channels and win the aerial duels and hold the ball up and, and allow him to kind of be, be a little bit more freed up as opposed to being that kind of focal point. That's what I'd say about Stephen Humphrey. So um, again, I think it's probably who you pair him with. So we're a little bit more conservative, my first pick. So let's reach the stars a little bit and say Pompey are actually going to splash some cash in, in this transfer window and make a statement signing, going out and going to Forest Green and getting Matty Stevens off them. They're going to go, right, put, let's get the checkbook out. 23 goals last season for Forest Green. He's a good finisher. I think he'll do well in this league. I think he had one of the most game-winning goals. I think it was six last season in League Two. He's a, he's a striker that I think we could realistically sign put into the team you'd expect him to score goals now I'll be interested here Gabe if you think his game will translate to League One and you know what sort of money it would be to to get him well uh, I think you say 23 goals and also he missed the last quarter of last season due to injury of course as well so that 23 goals looks all the more impressive whether he could have pushed 25-30 had he not got injured Um, obviously then the flip side of that is it probably comes with a little bit of a risk in terms of making sure that he is kind of back up up to full speed and and maybe not expecting too much too soon Um, he's 
played alongside a target man in Jamil Matt, who again um, w- was very important for Forest Green in terms of that physical presence. But he did score a lot of headers. Um, they were probably they weren't necessarily headers from. Um, where he had to be really aggressive to score them or to be, you know, from deep where you, you, the kind of headers that Jamil Matt might win or score. Um, it was more like really clever crosses from uh, the right wing back they had, Kane Wilson, and he kind of nodded them in at the near post. So if you've got a good quality of delivery from, from the byline, then I think he's someone that can provide an aerial threat, even if he's not the, the target man, as it were. Uh, but no, very good finisher. I think this is the best season he's had in the EFL. Um Difficult to say really with Forest Green in terms of how much it would cost because um, they're quite a... Although they're a small club, they're quite well backed as well. So uh, I don't necessarily think that finances would be the the first thing on the agenda. I think they'd ideally want to keep Matty Stevens uh, on board. I'm I'm kind of guessing you'd be looking at around the sort of five hundred grand mark, something along those lines. Which um, and, and again, I'm not I'm not certain about that one. But again, I think there's worries that you know are the club willing to pay transfer fees to players and. Um, that's um and if you're not willing to pay transfer fees then you do leave yourself to be a bit reliant on loans and catching players that are out of contract but it doesn't feel like Portsmouth are necessarily doing that because there haven't been so many signings so far so yeah I'm not um I, I I'm not sure whether they'll pay a transfer fee that's required I think that could be a stumbling block I think, think a championship team will reach for him possibly I mean, I think I was, I was thinking on the level of, I think Pompey will potentially do that if we end up shipping out a few other players as well. There's, there's talk of Marcus Harness going to Swansea, um, someone at Millwall wants him, for instance, and a few other things like that. He's got one year left on his contract. He's just We've just taken the option up to, to renew his contract. That was something we had the ability to do. If you're not re-signing him, do you sell him now? Bank that money and, and reinvest it? That sort of striker deal could be potentially funded by the sale of, say, Marcus Harness. I'm going to bring up another player who scored a lot of goals in League 2 last season. Someone who's actually on a free at the moment, I believe. Um, 25 years old, Dom Telford, previously of Newport County. He fits more of a tenacious striker role, in my opinion, from having a look at his analytics. Yeah. 26 goals from 18.96 XG in 40 games. So there is a worry that he overplayed it a bit I always when I see large variations from the goals next year I always get worried I'm thinking well, why why is it's that so happen? strange just on that though Freddie on a slight tangent because I've seen people go the other way and say that, that it shows if they're um, scoring about the same rate as their XG it shows that they're not a great finisher and so people can kind of come up with all sorts of sort of conclusions from uh, from the XG data. And I think it's just I, I would probably lean, <laughs> I would probably lean with you about the sustainability of it in terms of you know if someone's running a bit hot and they're scoring every shot that they take, then maybe you kind of worry about that. But so people do, do seem to have different different sort of takes on it. Mm, mm. Is it is it because of the Marquis situation? Is it because of the Marquis situation where he just constantly never achieved his? Exactly. No, no, well, that was the opposite. Wasn't exactly. It? Marcus underperformed his XG for like five seasons or something stupid along those lines, which is strange. But Dom Telford's had one season where he's gone massively over it. So it just depends. You, you had to look at more of his game footage to think, oh, is he, did he just score a load of worldies? Is he, is he just on a hot streak or is he the actual striker that Portsmouth need? He's got a high presence around the box, which I really like. 
high amounts of touches in the box in comparison to other strikers in League Two. Always moving around there, always mobile, has a high volume of shots, which I do like. The only other thing that worries me again is he's not much of a passer away from outside the penalty area. He's a proper goal scorer, and Portsmouth have been stung by that before with Tyler Walker. Some say John Marcus for a bit half and half for me. Would would Dom Telford fit in a Portsmouth lineup game, in your opinion? He's on a free, so he's a bit, yeah. People and, and I think. Signature. I think the fact that he's on a free would probably appeal to the club because if you look at it, I think Matty Stevens is at a similar age, maybe a year or two younger than Don Telford. And the difference between having to coax Forrest Green into parting with uh, their best striker and, and getting someone on free, I think the latter is probably a more appealing proposition. Um, I think it's worth noting, though, that Don Telford's best seasons, first of all, he was at Barry in 18-19 when they went up from the division below under, under Ryan Lowe. And he played alongside Nicky Maynard, who was quite an experienced uh, centre-forward in a sort of 3-1-4-2. And then at Newport, again, um, he played alongside Courtney Baker-Richardson, who's quite a good physical presence. They've got good left footy kind of linked to the play and brought the best out of Telford. Um, so I think there's several things. I think he's got to play in a team that's uh, attacking and plays on the front foot. I think he's got to play in a team that plays two up top with uh, somebody a little bit more physical and maybe a bit more experienced alongside him. And um, yeah, and, and I think those things are, are going to be really important and um, in terms of, of how he fits in. So uh, playing an attacking side, someone that's more experienced and two up top, I think that's going to be the key for getting the best side on Telford. It will depend on what Cal- formation Cowley picks because if he, if he goes with the 3-4-1-2 with the cam and the two strikers or the 3-4-3 three, three, where those attackers are really close together, that might work with the wing-backs. But if he goes to the 4-2-3-1, I think he'll definitely get isolated a bit too much. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want Dom Telford on his own up top in a 4-2-3-1. Okay, he's not going to be leading the line. But someone who could potentially help lead the line, and he uh, was on loan at Cheltenham last season, played up front with Alfie May, is Carl Joseph, Aussie from Swansea. 20 years old, started out for Swansea playing in the championship, played 10 games, didn't score a goal. They shipped him out to Cheltenham for the second half of the season. Got four goals, two assists in 19 games. Well, Carl Joseph was the, was at Cheltenham the first half of the season and then the second half of the season they had to kill and attack. There you he go. Probably... Flip-flop that the other way around then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, That's yeah, so um, I think with Carl Joseph... Um, I'm not necessarily sure that he brought the best out of Alfie May in the same way that Itat did. But then having said that, I saw them play against MK Dons and I noticed that uh, Carl Joseph seems to be quite an energetic striker and he's got a good spring on him as well. So I think he's someone that will be able to sort of alternate between two different roles, whether he'd have the goal scoring instincts that maybe a Don Telford would as well. I think there's a question mark there. Um, so yeah, I'm not not 100 percent sure that Carl Joseph would be that would be the one. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because we need to go out and get three strikers. So if you think about where with the sort of level and the quality we're going to be able to attract, I suppose, across that that three, it seems quite unlikely, I think, that we're going to say go out and get Matty Stevens and then go and get Don Telford and then go and get sort of three more what you think of sort of like top level marquee signings. They're going to try and take a punt on a on a player or two that are maybe come a bit cheaper, a bit younger, and someone that Danny Cowley maybe thinks fits the system. When mm. I was speaking to Swansea fans, they're telling me that he presses a lot 
chases a lot, very energetic, as you're pointing on. Yeah. So I think that that's one of those things that when we fill out the the three roles that we're talking about, it's probably going to be two and then one. I think two sort of strikers, and I'm saying this hopefully that you think, you know, are going to be up there and at a certain level, there may be one that's going to be sort of more in the rotation that can sort of add something different. Yeah, I mean, I think this, I would say Portsmouth probably need to have two physical strikers in the squad because um, although because there is this sort of heavy pressing identity, but I, I've never got the impression with uh, with Danny Cowley's sides, and perhaps you can you can tell me that his sides have ever been particularly fussed about having the possession. It's always been about the areas of the pitch, and that suggests to me that a fair proportion of the goal kicks will go long. Now, I think last season you had a goalkeeper in Gavin Bazunu. I think part of the reason, from what I can see, part of the reason why George Hurst did so well was because Bazunu just managed to put the ball on his toes or get the ball to him in a really good area that allowed him to use that intelligence and quality. Whether you're going to have a goalkeeper with that same quality distribution is another question. So for me... Um, it's going to be really important to have a target man who can sort of back up against strikers. And so every time you go direct, the ball is going to stick because if you sign Matty Stevens and Dom Telford um, and someone else that isn't necessarily going to be that great in the air from goal kicks, I think that there's probably a danger that um, you'll, you'll end up going long. And then opposition centre-backs will win the header. And then where do you go from there? So I think it's going to be really important to have two big physical strikers next season. I, th- I think how he sort of played goal kicks is a lot more on the level of, you know, Bazzini wants to get the ball down and play it really as, as a passing sort of goalkeeper. What, what that allows is the two centre-backs to split. And then what they mm. wanted to do was get it more wide to the wing-backs. So when we did go not by passing it out from the back, what they did really was try and play that sort of diagonal ball cross that you see quite a lot now, where you're almost trying to retain possession by playing those sort of cross-field balls to players in, in, in positions. And if that's not on, they're more looking to play the ball out the back, but through the triangles and, and, and move it quickly. So whilst we're sort of getting the ball up quicker than some of the teams who sort of play that sort of MK Don sort of methodical sort of slower pace level. I think with with Danny Cowley teams, what he wants us to do is retain possession, but get the ball forward with purpose is what he'd say. Mm. So sort of passing through the thirds, but taking a little bit more of a chance to get the ball up quicker, but not necessarily going direct long to to the uh, central striker. Okay, that's interesting. And certainly I think that when Bazunu, I just remember watching your lot play at Crew last season and Bazunu was just so good at picking out Hurst and when the game opened up for that sort of pass, he was really sort of on the money with it. Uh, but it's a really interesting to hear your thoughts on, yeah, how Portsmouth kind of built up play and, um, yeah, how he's probably going to look to set the side up next season. Come on then, Fred, you're the next one. Okay, so we mentioned earlier with the three strikers, one of them will have to be a project. And I think I found the right one after listening to a podcast which Ali Maxwell was on from Not the Top 20 fame. Plays for Ipswich Town, played on loan at Swindon last season, 20 years old, Tyrese Simpson, very highly rated. He, he said, Maxwell, Ali Maxwell said he thrived in League Two last season. And even if he doesn't reach his potential, he can be a solid target man at League One and League Two level. Excellent, uh, excellent with the ball to his feet, can roll a defender, can hold off a defender quite well. So he's physical in that sense, but also with speed. Apparently, he said that at one point in his, in his life earlier, Simpson had an 11.2 second, 100 metre time, which is 
pretty mental in comparison and used to be on the books with Leicester Tigers rugby. So it's definitely got the physical aspects of things. Mm. I'm not sure how much of Simpson you watched last season go, but yeah, whenever I, Andy Maxwell likes a player, I, I usually do a bit more. Yeah, he's got... Um, I, I think with, with Tyree Simpson, um, he Swinton didn't manage to get in another striker uh, in, the Janu- in the summer window because... Uh, of the ownership situation happening very late. So kind of unexpectedly, Tyree Simpson had to play literally every game in the first half of that season. Um, And very popular with fans, got that physical presence, as you say, uh, very selfless as well, still managed to chip in with a few goals. And I think the appeal of signing Tyree Simpson um, as much as anything for Portsmouth would be firstly, um, I think Ipswich have transfer listed him or they're quite happy to, to see him go. So uh, in terms of a fee, I don't think it's going to be enormous. Um, but also that this is a long-term asset. So if you can get him onto a three-year contract and then he has a massive breakout season this year, then you're, you're in for quite a lot of money. So I think that, that element of it would appeal quite a bit as well because he's still on the younger side. And also 11 goals in all comps in mm. how many games in 30 matches it's a pretty reasonable record for somebody who had his first uh, first um, season in League 2 I don't think that's that bad no not at all I, mean, I think it's also interesting because Ipswich picked up um, Tyrese John Jules who was a, a striker who was on my list until yesterday when Ipswich picked him up from Arsenal so that is a that is a player that they've they've brought in there as well so another striker for Ipswich you we know, know how oh, we know how much Ipswich waste players. I mean, they uh, they bought Scott Fraser and got rid of him in six months, which made me just lose my mind. But hey ho, uh, imagine having owners with a lot of money, eh? Yeah, exactly. Imagine. Exactly. Uh, go to the next one, Fred. Yeah, our last but last striker who we're going to go into in detail before I give you some more names afterwards. He could also play right wing, which I do like. Very versatile. League two again. He's played against Portsmouth before on uh, at the home of football. Brandon Thomas Asante, 23 years old from Salford City, a live wire striker who could drive play with dribbling and passing, 13 goals from 17.48 XG in 43 matches. So that does worry me, the fact that his goals is much lower than his XG. I usually prefer that as a like an inkling of his finishing wasn't brilliant last season, but you can gamble and see if it improves the next season. Very competitive dribbler, 6.47 dribbles per 90 with 54% accuracy, which is... Excellent. And he's also got a high presence in the box, which really works and has an excellent range of passing. So he fits that mould. He could play in multiple positions for Pompey if he can sign. He's of the age range that Danny Cowley wants these players to be and the board want these players to be. Depending on the fee, what do you think of Brandon Thomas Asante? I think he's really evolved in three seasons at Salford, Freddie. Um, in his first year there, he was very much a, a super sub, an impact player that kind of changed games through his dribbling ability and won penalties and things like that. Uh, and then this season, he's been um, really a star for, for, for Salford in many ways, especially in the second half of the season after they got target man Matt Smith in. 
and uh, he's sort of fed off him really well. But he's also added, as well as the talent and the ability that he's always had, even going back to his young days at MK Dons, he's got that physicality as well. And uh, I think he's been spending a bit of time in the gym, gym presumably, over the last uh, couple of years. And um, and I think it's paid off for him as well. So that's, that's someone I'm really excited about. A little bit like Forrest Green, Salford might not be the easiest club to do business with because they've got that external investment and they'll uh, they've not made many signings so they'll they'll want to keep Thomas Asante if they can but at the same time um, I think he'd make a real difference if Portsmouth can push the boat out and also it's the, it, it, the big thing's the league difference as well Salford not getting promoted Asante's agent might be pushing a bit more than say Matty Stevens' agent would be because well, if Matty Stevens stays at Forest Green has a good season in League One then he gets a championship after which Thomas Asante doesn't have so that's I'd say that's a bit more of a realistic signing than Stevens, but there is the money situation to consider as well. Okay, I do have a few more names. I'll mention these four names just in passing. And if Gabe likes any of them, he can give us a bit more detail. You mentioned Keon Atet earlier on loan from Spurs. Yeah. I like, I liked him as a... I'd, I'd, I'd put him on the list, Freddie, ahead of Carl Joseph, probably, actually, because I think he probably had the better loan spell at Cheltenham last year. So, uh, yeah, very hardworking. He's a tall lad, lots of ability. Um, maybe maybe just a smidge short for championship level, so it becomes the, the bracket of players that Pompey can go for. Um, not a million miles off George Hurst, actually. So I, I would, I'd be quite positive about that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a couple more. Well, one of them who did very well last season in League Two, but did that thing that I keep on seeing League Two players going up to the Championship and then just not being played, which is frustrating. Mm. I like Carlos Mendes Gomez. Barely played Ooh. for Luton Town last season. Was a winger who can play left wing, but hung on the striker a lot more. Would fit in that three-four-three system mainly just as a finisher, mainly as an outlet pass. I also liked Harry McCurdy at Swindon. Some of his stats mm. are a bit strange. Um, More of a wide tw- forward potentially. Mm. Um, he had twenty-three goals. Yeah, he had twenty-three goals from his sixteen point five nine xG in forty-four thing games. With, thing with Harry yeah. McCurdy though, he's a very enigmatic player. So mm. last summer he was pretty much in last chance saloon as an EFL player because he had had this stint at Carlisle and Port Vale where. If you talk to their fans about him, they would say his attitude stinks, and um, and and so you know the quest, the talent's never been in question, but it's always the application uh, with Harry McCurdy. Now Ben Garner managed to get a tune out of him last season, and I think his experience working in sort of youth football um, and under twenty threes and things like that probably helped in that regard. Um, whether Danny Cowley with this sort of intense high pressing style would have the patience for someone that's a little bit enigmatic and you don't quite know what you're going to get from. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. So that that would be the concern for me with McCurdy. And the final player actually plays in the National League, but his creative Ooh. stats are ridiculous. Ruben Rodriguez. Yeah, he's been mentioned for a few. I think MK Dons have been linked with him. I think Rotherham were linked with him as well for the championship. So um, I know I know Notts County fans rate him very highly. So um, he's surely going to be playing in the EFL next season one way or another. Can play as a striker and a 10, apparently. And mm-hmm. his passing stats were quite high for National League standard. And Notts County are up there in some of the good teams. And the National League is probably I, a new place yeah. to look at players now because of how 
how good it is now, just with the amount I mean, of money it's put into it. Yeah, whether you kind of go for the, if you sign Rodriguez, would that lead it more towards a 3 4 one, two, where you have a number 10 and then a Dom Telford type and then maybe a Keon Attet type? That could be quite an exciting trio. Yeah, it's the weird thing is Cowley likes us to keep us in suspense. We don't, we have really no idea what formation he's going to play. We know the style of play. We just don't know how it's going to. And he seems to like to change. He seems to like to change it. He seems to like to be able to adapt to the opposition and tailor the game plans specifically, which not that many managers do. Some managers have kind of this mania about having an identity, and this is what we do. Whereas Danny Cowley seems to be more willing to adapt to the needs of different games, and um, yeah, so it's a little bit different in that sense. Mm-hmm. I think oh. next we're going to go on to cams, and he's probably going to start us off on this one. We're going to go on to cams first, are we? Mm-hmm. Okie dokie, I like that into into position. So I'm going to change the player that I was looking at, <laughs> and I'm going to go for a player who's I've been told is a bit more of a project for the future. Let's start small, and I'll work up some of the bigger names. I'm going with a player called Liam Kerrigan uh, from University of College Dublin. He's 22 years okay. old. He impressed with Ireland at the Euro 21s, I'm told, where people are over there very well. Apparently, the big teams in Ireland will want to sign him. He's got a very high ceiling. He's got a very low cost now. People are saying he's going to cost sort of 50-odd, 50-odd K. He's a player to look out for. He's a young player. He's 21 years old. But just putting it out there on a random one, just a bit of a, a bit of a curveball here. Mm-hmm. Go with Liam Kerrigan. Um, You've done, done your homework on this one, yeah. I like that. Uh, oh, oh well yeah no I just I just asked around just what we do before the before doing it who, who's to look out for so uh shout out to Simon Collins my, my pal over in Ireland for for that one mm-hmm. is he the sports editor at the Derry Journal or is he head sports journalist there he's, I can't remember what's wrong he's sports editor of the Derry Journal yeah mm-hmm. so um he's, he's the guy that does all the interviews for Ronan Curtis whenever he goes back to Ireland because he covers the Ireland team so he's got a bit of a bit of an insight on good Irish young players and I know Pompey do um, actually track quite a few of them uh, and I've got one more later on which we'll come on to which who Gabe will have heard of more um, so he'll be able to have a bit of an input because I know MK Dons and us are after him so but why well, I'll fire back over to you Fred next player what are you saying I'm just double checking on something on him he he did well not not this season but last season Gabe mentioned low knees earlier and this is another one Taylor Richards online from Brighton Hove Albion was at Birmingham City actually your, your team so you'd be able to get his yeah he was injured there. for his whole time with us yeah, yeah I think that's a shame. yeah he didn't get a kick mm, mm. but last season he the season going he, he did very well at Doncaster yeah pretty much a goal scoring attacking midfielder I'll find his just his basic stats for now he's got a lovely um, left peg as well um, mm. yeah mm. yeah he's t- 10 goals and 5 assists in 41 matches seemed to excel at League 1 level and just looking at him Maybe it was just the injuries where he didn't get a kick at championship level. But if he feels like he may well want to drop back down to League One level, if he did well for Doncaster Rovers, I think he'd do well for Portsmouth as well. I was wondering what your opinion is on him. Yeah, um, I think that he's someone who can, he's a really good ball carrier, really good sort of progressing the ball. And obviously he's capable of uh, of a shot from outside, of you know, uh, finding those moments of quality from outside the box, clipping, clipping efforts towards goal with his left foot. Uh, he's got quite agile feet as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like Taylor Richards at Doncaster. Obviously, uh, the last year hasn't quite gone to plan for him. But if um, if if it had, 
been, he wouldn't be in a bracket where Portsmouth could get him. So sometimes you've got to look and at the season before last. And, you know, it's not just the last 12 months that define how good a footballer it is. It's it's their whole career. And um, obviously Taylor Richards did have that that real standout season at Doncaster, which could uh, could appeal. Okay, so going back to to the EFL now, a player who would require a transfer fee because he's got one year left on his contract still is Matt Jay from Exeter. Mm. It's a player that Pompey have long wanted fans and we've been mooted as having an interest. Matt Jay, obviously 14 goals last season. He's the Exeter captain as well. He's got a lot of intangibles he brings to the squad. I remember thinking about he scored that he scored that uh, promotion goal, didn't he? Where I think it was, they came back against Barrow to get them promoted. And he's a player that sort of scores big goals. I think he would come into a team. And we talked about players who you could sort of rely on to be in the squad and around it. I think he's a player that could easily step into this team and make a big impact at the, in the cam role. Obviously, there's the issue that Exeter don't want to lose him. However, unlike potentially some of the other clubs you mentioned earlier on with a bit more money, they're going to lose him next year unless he signs a new deal. So there's that one year left on it, which makes him a little bit more affordable. Mm. And I think Exeter are a very well-run club. They're good at getting fees for uh, for their players and um, they've just got really good in terms of um, from a negotiation point of view and they're very sort of well-structured. So I don't think they're going to take, take their after ball with that one by any means at all. Um, they'd probably, they'd obviously want to keep hold of Matt Jay because it'd make a really big difference to their chance of staying in League One. But on the other hand, um, they are a business as well, and and they're very savvy on on that side. Um, Matt Jay is a, a diminutive, creative forward. He's um, someone that's got um, very quick feet. He can kind of wriggle out of challenges quite well, and uh, and open the game up for for the teams that he plays for. Or Exeter, he's only ever played for, um, and he's got very creative in that final third as well as having a goal threat, although he did go, I think, 16 games without a goal at one point last season. So, um, but yeah, I think, and also the other thing that kind of goes under the radar is, um, I spoke to uh, an Exeter fan called Alex Davison last season when I went to their game against Rochdale, and one of the things he said was, Matt Jay is, um, is one of the hardest working players on the pitch. He runs around more than anyone else or as much as anyone else I think they had Timothy Dieng who's probably up there as well but he he's certainly right up there in terms of work rate so given the pressing identity that we've talked about with Danny Cowley I think he'd fit into that Absolutely, absolutely um, <clears throat> I think every player that Danny Cowley wants to bring in he's not really the fan of enigmatic players he, he wants them all to put a shift in every single time and will sometimes put up with players who are technically less gifted if that's the case I'm going to stay in League Two for my next pick. And this player's a purely creative attacking midfielder. Seven assists in 7.99 expected assists last season. He's not really a dribbler. He's not much of a goal scorer, but his passing analytics are through the roof. I'm looking at Callum Cook, 25 years old from Bradford City. Shown to play as as a cam and a bit deeper, so like an eight and a 10. But the key metrics here that I like, his passes to the final third, with 5.24 per 90, he has over 80% accuracy on that. And his progressive passes, which is at least over a third of the pitch, he makes 5.3 of those per 90 with 87.37% accuracy. Danny Cowley likes progressive passes. He signs players who usually have that metric quite high. Examples of that being Sean Williams, who, who played a bit deeper, and even, uh, for example, centre-halves like Clark Robertson, who had higher metric there. 
I was wondering what you thought of Callum Cook, even though really, mm. I think in the formation, Danny Callum might want his cams to be a bit more prolific, but the creative edge is there for Cook, just looking at the numbers. Purely. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that he's at the level that Portsmouth need. I think we've got to remember uh, Portsmouth aiming to be a championship club in the next two, two, three seasons and progressing sort of within that. I'm not sure that Callum Cook is a player that can take Portsmouth to those levels, to be honest. He's someone that I thought, is he going to go back to Crew, his hometown club, who are sort of looking at consolidation in League Two? I I don't think that he's necessarily the type of player that, that Portsmouth should be considering. I think part of the issue for, for Cook is that he's played a variety of midfield roles for Bradford City, um, yeah, sometimes playing at the base a bit sometimes given a little bit more creative license uh, in more recent years but um, I think they've released him and I think that if Bradford City and League Two have, have released the player I'm not quite sure you'd have to be very creative in, in, in more than one sense of the world to where to get the best out of him as a side that's aspiring for a top six finish mm. in League Is One. Is just an so. example where you look at his stats and go wow but then you watch him you think is he really going to trade? Is his, is that going to translate? Yeah, I don't think there's much Callum Cook fanfare at Bradford from what I can can gather. Although I hope he does well with with his next move. I'm not quite sure he's up to to Portsmouth standards. So I'll go, I'll go back up to the up to the Premier League, and we'll talk about alone. And we we're talking about these ones worth hanging around and seeing if one of these players maybe doesn't fit the first team squads. I was talking to our friend of the show, Max, from Arsenal.com that covers the Arsenal under-23s, and he was saying that there's a slim possibility, but it is still a possibility, that they could loan out Salah Adin. He's a youngster who's Dutch. He's from Feyenoord originally. He's been on the bench a couple of times. Occasionally, Arteta's had him on the bench in the Europa League game just to show him that you know that he's valued. I know Aziz was, had a sort of similar sort of a treat, uh, treatment, but he's a player that... From all, all lines of it, um, is, is creative as a cam. Um, he's been quite prolific at under twenty three levels for Arsenal. And um, Max was saying he could be a real game changer in League One. Now he expects he potentially could even go back to to Holland to play over there as well. So it's a real pie in the sky. But if I don't get it out there and it happens, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot myself. So I'm gonna put it out there now. Um, Saladin from Arsenal is as a cam. So yeah, that's my shout. Um, and I'm just gonna quickly dovetail that and fire back over to Freddie actually before I go to my last cam how many cams do you have left Fred out of interest of your mega list of stuff because we need to make sure we move this on so maybe highlight a couple uh, I can highlight just two more you've got a webcam and then name, and then name rest <laughs> what me <laughs> go on Fred go two, on, two, in de- two in detail the rest just named we'll keep it we'll keep it moving a bit cool cool One, uh, I mentioned this player to Gabe just in passing yesterday when I was looking more into him played in the league one last season very young can play on the right side and at Cam another example of a versatile player I really like Jock Radoni at AFC Wimbledon mm-hmm. 21 years old Gabe likes his left foot as well is a technical ability stats wise 12 goals from 9.95 expected goals in 49 games a pure prolific uh, attacking midfielder adding Maxwell mentioned how he likes his goal-scoring threat. He likes how he can pass and move well around the penalty area and is famous for arriving late into the box. It remind, That description reminds me of Gareth Evans, so that's probably why mm. I looked at that a little bit. And the other thing is, he's had a couple of years in League One 
as well to get used to this level. So it's not going to be a surprise to him as opposed to somebody stepping up from League Two. And I think he's built some upper body strength uh, this season as well. Um, I think the main reason Wimbledon went down was because they didn't really have a focal point centre forward who can bring everything together. But actually, Rodoni is one of the players that had real talent and showed real promise for them uh, in the last two seasons, really. So, um, yeah, I think that would be a good signing. And again, I mean, if you're willing to part with a, a reasonable transfer fee, I think they're looking at around a million pounds, possibly more. Um, I think that then you've got a, a potential asset that could go on and do big things. I believe he's also, though, I think they've had bids turned down from Sunderland, Huddersfield and Bristol City who are all trying to buy him at the moment in time. Oh. So yeah, but yeah, Portsmouth can't compete with that. I think <laughs> they're just not. But Portsmouth can offer first team like regular starts because he'd be a key player for Portsmouth, whereas uh, at a championship club, he wouldn't necessarily be the go-to player. Where we could get lucky there, Gabe. You never know. <laughs> um, I'm just going to fly back to my... I'm going to say my last one. I'll, I'll put it down. And it's a player called Dawson Devoy. He plays for Bohemians out in Ireland again. MK Dons did buy him in January. For some reason, talks came down. He's he's touted as one of the better players out in Ireland. Um, he's 20 years old. He's an Ireland under-21s player. He's got uh, five goals, uh, four assists in 18 games so far last season. That was a down season for him as such. And he's a player that's got a lot of talent. I know MK wanted him. And he's, a, he's an interesting player to watch. But yeah, I'll put it out there. Dawson Devoy from Bohemians, as I can. Mm. Right, Freddie, how many more do you have? Uh, one in detail and then named for the rest of them. All right, go. I'm looking at this player. Um, previously played under Danny Cowley at Lincoln City. Transfer listed by Peterborough. George Grant, 27 years old. Cam. His stats were average in the Championship last season. Peterborough struggled a fair bit. This is the sort of signing that, since he's available, he's a trusted player that Danny Cowley likes. He's the sort of player to bring in for Portsmouth to get in to get from League One out into the Championship and then maybe fill in later on. I like his progressive passes. Again, a metric that Danny Cowley really likes. 5.78 average per 90 with 82% accuracy, which in the Championship is still quite good, even though he struggled in certain areas. I'm looking at it purely from a value point of view since Peterborough don't seem to want him. I was wondering what you thought. Yeah, it's interesting with uh, Jorge Grant because he was at Notts County a few seasons ago and scored uh, in the first half of the 17-18 season, I think it was, like loads of uh, really striking goals just curling into the far corner. Um, And then... Uh, he had a sort of an enigmatic few years. I think he was at Luton and at Mansfield where, you know, a bit hit and miss. And then he was at Lincoln City in the 2021 season where Michael Appleton actually converted him into the base of midfield where he dictated play and was one of the Imps' best players when they uh, got to the, the playoff final that season. Um, again, hasn't quite worked out for him at Peterborough, but... I think that the good thing about Portsmouth's um, high-pressing style is that if you can force clearances and misplaced passes from opponents, Jorge Grant is a good player to have stepping on second balls and and running the show that way. So, um, yeah, I, I could see the thinking in that signing. All right, let's move on to midfielders. We'll start on the right-hand side. I think it's more pressing, so we'll go with that. And no pun intended with the pressing, Sam. But um, let's go to Randall Williams at Hull. He's got one year left on his contract. He played, obviously, the Exeter link from before people had known him from. He, he had 13 games in total, only four starts for Hull last season. Um, he's got one year left on his contract. He's a player that 
I know we wanted before. We've mentioned him on previous podcasts when, when he was at Exeter. Obviously, he got that championship move. I don't know. I think he's got a great delivery. He can put that special ball into the box. He's a good dribbler. Um, and if we do play that sort of right wing back system where the wing backs play very high and expected to put balls into the box to players, and we said earlier on about Telford and, and Stevens and players who maybe you can you know get on the end of those sort of balls, I think maybe Randall Williams would be a player that would potentially be able to provide those balls into the box for the players. Yeah, quite possibly. He's um, he's always been a very sort of exciting, skillful winger. Um, had a really good season a few years ago at uh, at Exeter City, where uh, they played him as a right winger or as a right wing back end, and he was all very much their go to player, sort of taking people on uh, and things like that. And he's obviously moved on to Hull City, where again they've they've used him as a as a wing back. I think so. Uh, that would be a very attacking option as a wing back, and I think it'd be important that you'd have a. a a wide centre-back behind him that's very quick and strong and comfortable in 1v1 so that if um, and, and again having Marlon Pack I suppose screening the defence as well that would probably help so you can allow Randall Williams that freedom to really attack the flank Yeah you'd have Joe Morell or, or Thompson as well next and both very sort of tenacious midfield that maybe would allow him that sort of creative you know freedom to go forward and do that I don't know if Hull will be interested in selling him but since they only started in four times yeah I think left in his contract well the interesting thing about Hull uh Hugh is that uh they seem to be after these really sort of high profile players so they're apparently in um close to signing Jean Michel Siri who's just won the championship title with Fulham um they've got a lad called um Ozan Tufan I think they're interested in who's got 67 caps for Turkey so they're they're after quite high bracket players players which means that you know good league one players or reasonable championship players might become available so I think that's something that Portsmouth could profit from Huller just in such a different position this summer to the one they were in last summer and obviously that means a few players are going to slip through he's not a right winger but I was just going to mention him since you mentioned Hull what about a player like George Moncur you, you mentioned Hull City were after a different calibre of player entirely. I saw George Moncur play very well for Barnsley as a cam and at right wing. He might become available and he barely played as well. So that's another name to consider. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it's been a quite, quite a quiet couple of years for, for Moncur, but we'll, um, yeah, we'll have to see on that one. Mm-hmm. Picking somebody who's actually mainly played at right wing, but he's also at cam. He was also on loan last season. So potentially getting another loan in might be good, although Leicester City might want him to play championship football. I'm looking at Callum Wright. Mm. Nine goals from 7.96 XG from 37 games. Yeah. Six assists from 4.39 expected assists. Loves a dribble. Loves a progressive pass. Is reasonable in the crossing. And he terrorised Portsmouth when Cheltenham <laughs> played against them as well. Always, yeah. always something to consider. I, yeah, I really liked what I saw of Callum Wright last season, Freddie. He's um, a goal-scoring midfielder. He's got an eye for a sort of well-timed run into the box uh, and sort of getting it across the, the cutbacks and, and and showing that side of his game. But he's also got quite a balletic, skillful side and he's very, um, yeah, very exciting to watch going forward as well as the energy that he brings. I think with um, the way Michael Duck, they had a midfielder called Connor Thomas who got injured for the 
second half of last season. And basically, Connor Thomas normally played at the base of midfield. And instead of having that, they basically had three midfielders who weren't defensive midfielders and weren't attacking midfielders. They just all did a bit of everything. And I think for me, that shows Callum Wright, not only has he got the attacking qualities that I've talked about, but also he's going to be able to chip in and do his part defensively, as well as contributing to the press. So, um, yeah, I'd really recommend that signing if you could uh, if you could pull it off. And maybe there's an act I chance that Leicester would want him to be playing for a side that's up there in League One before he makes that step up to the Championship. All right, and I will stay back in the EFL again and look at Morgan Whitaker from hmm. Swansea. Obviously, he was on loan last season. He played for Lincoln City as well there. Um, he's one of my favourite players to be available. Apparently, he is available. Um, high offensive jewels, press as well, very quick, likes taking players on. He's got a good work rate as well, though. So he does get back. He can play right wing back as well as playing sort Mm. of right midfield. So that's obviously advantageous as well. He's a player, he's got three more years left on his contract. He's 21 years old. Could be part of a a sort of part cash, part deal if Marcus Harness does go to Swansea as well, which would obviously Harness only has that one year left on his contract. Whitaker's got three years left on his contract. He's younger. I think he'd be a player that we'd definitely be interested in. I'm, I, I mean, if I were in Swansea's shoes, I'm not sure I would take Marcus Harness and lose Morgan Whitaker, especially on a permanent deal. I'd probably rather uh, rather have Morgan Whitaker because he's got that pace, that explosivity and that potential. Um, whereas Marcus Harness is uh, sort of in his late 20s now. And, you know, even if even if he has a good season in the championship, there's probably a ceiling as to how far he can go. So, yeah, I think if you could do that sort of deal, Pompey, I think that would be a really good pick. I think you'd be on the better side of that. Yeah, see, Fred. Reminds, reminds me of the last like player swap deal we did ages, probably did ages ago when they oh, Adam, Adam Webster, Adam, Adam Webster to Ipswich, Ipswich Town and yeah. brought Matt Clark the other way, thinking maybe maybe bring the player with the higher ceiling back. But we'll see what the value will be on Marcus Harness with one year left because you are running the risk of losing him for nothing. And I could imagine the storm of social media if we lose Marcus Harness for nothing at the end of the season if we don't get promoted. But hey, we'll not think about that now. A player who's played on both wings, I believe he's on a free as well, did very well at Oxford the season before, also been at Rangers before as well, Brandon Barker. I saw him out on the wing, attack fullbacks and ravage them, just with dribbling and pure crossing. A proper creative player in that regard. I don't think he would suit a wing-back role. I think he'd be more useful in a 3-4-3 Mm, that's well that's what I was going to say Freddie because you've got to then if you sign Brandon Barker you've got to be quite careful about how you profile the strikers that you're going to sign and you're probably going to need to really hit the jackpot with a striker if you only play one up top because you're requiring a wider range of qualities whereas if you go two up top then signing a Matty Stevens or a Dom Telford and someone like a Jake Beasley or a Keon Tet that would that would really work so yeah I think that's going to be quite important for Pompey just making sure that they're quite careful about the the formations that they recruit for and signing someone that couldn't really play wing back uh, and would kind of dictate the formation I think would be a little bit risky if I'm honest with you given how much Danny Cowley likes to flip formations as well. Would you always look for 
uh, since we're talking about wingers, we might, we're going to go on to left wingers later. Would you always look for someone who could play both, who could play the wing back role? And uh, yeah, I'd want someone because also the other thing is I'd want someone with high energy and an appetite, an ap- appetite for the game. And I think if you've got someone that's going to throw themselves into a role, so if you've got a high energy sort of wide player like um, David Adjiboy, for example, who's gone to Peterborough, he's played on the right it of was a, on my list as well yeah I, I know that's a shame isn't it he's played on the right wing in a 4-4-2 for Sutton United and he's a really exciting attacking player but he can also get back and help their shape so I would have had no concern no qualms about him um, adjusting to a wing back role if it came to that whereas with Brandon Barker I'm not sure that he'd necessarily relish that so I think if you've got an energetic wide player that's going to be a big, the energy is going to be a big thing to look for because they're either, if they're playing part of a front three, they're either going to contribute to the press or if you feel like you're playing them at wing back, they're going to be able to get up and down the pitch. So I think the energy and the work rate side and the the attitude, I think that's going to be really important in terms of the recruitment, especially for an Andy Cowley side. Talking about players and maybe a ceiling and I think they could bounce back a little bit. I was I was thinking of looking at um, Owen Dale at Blackpool, mm. 23 years old. He had a bit of a foot injury, I believe, at the start of last season, which sort of hampered him, him settling in a little bit into the team. But again, with Appleton coming in, there could be potential that he's sort of on the outside looking in as such. Um, he can play on the left and I've been told he can play on the right. Yeah. Um, so he's quite yeah, he played he played on the right of a of the a three man attack in a four three three for crew um at times. So I think in their top half finish at this level, where he was I think one of their best players. So um yeah, he's a, he's he's very he's got good upper body strength, he's very quick, very direct, um, and he's got that aggression about him as well, which I think is something that Danny Cowley would like. And I also would have a fair bit of confidence in him just adapting to a different position or a different role or a different formation. Um, You know, I think he could play as a second striker. I think he could maybe do a job as a wing back or right of a three, left of a three. I think he could adapt to different roles. And I think that's something that Danny Cowley might like. Yeah, definitely. He does like those sort of versatile players who who can fill in and, and, and move around, especially if you're an attacking player as well. And as you said, he's got that aggression, which will sort of help a little bit with that sort of pressing sort of, you know, front foot mentality. Go on, Fred, yeah. let's keep this momentum going. Um, this is another player from Hull City. We've accidentally targeted them a bit with no plan whatsoever. Did very well at Bolton, I believe. I believe it was at Bolton. Josh Emmanuel played at right wing back. Can also play right wing as well. The main thing I remember from him while watching him was just explosive dribbling, explosive offensive duels. Where he, it was very hard to get the ball off him when he was when he had it in possession. Yeah, and his and he put in a lot of crosses. I the, the I think he's a decent championship player. I think for whatever reason, I don't know if the reasons are actually clear or public knowledge, but he's not actually played for a year uh, unless I'm. I saw, I, saw, I saw his minutes of this season. He's barely played. I'll just bring them. Yeah, up I, th- I think he's not played for a year, but maybe he's played a few minutes, but certainly not much. I don't think. Um, but then on the other hand, I think that that's one of the things that would maybe make him available for Portsmouth as opposed to either staying on at Hull or, or getting a championship move. Uh, but as you say, he's been part of a title winning side at this level with Hull City. And obviously that's, that's never a bad thing if you're recruiting with uh, promotion aspirations. Yeah, and last season he played seven games or comps for 500 minutes. Right, OK. 
So, so he played slightly. He might have got a horrible injury. But again, like you mentioned, if Hull City are looking for other players, they're looking at players who have barely played last season and thinking, well, why would we have them? All right, back from having a drink quickly. So I'm not sure if it was you or me, Fred, who went, who went last. But I'm just going to throw an honourable honorable mention quickly. Uh, Romain Mundell, uh, he's a right winger from Spurs, uh, played a lot for the under-23s. don't know much about him apart from when I spoke to her to Lennon, who covers the under-23s over at Tottenham. He said to me, he's a very skillful winger, sort of exploded for their under-23s um, at the back end of last season, and they, they want to put him out on loan. So it'd be interesting to see if you did have a look at him, what Danny Cowley thinks, and maybe he he takes that up as a, as a sort of a squad building sort of like kind of player, and we'll see what that happens. Obviously, at 19 years old, he's still pretty young. So whether he would get that many starts or not, I don't know. Obviously, it depends what he's like, but chucking a name out there while we're at it. And then I'll fire over to you, Freddie, and see what your players to mention are at the end of the right-wingers. Yeah, so we've got right-wingers and right-wing-backs still. Another player who had a very good season, I remember, in League One, playing for Rotherham, got promoted at the time, I believe. Michael Olasunde. He's now Matthew Olasunde. Oh, Matthew Olasunde, excuse me. Um, Preston, Preston North End now. Again, barely played last season. Literally that one game, I assume he had an injury. He must have done. Or he was just completely out of favour. But I remember him when he played for Rotherham. Again, just an explosive wing-back. They really like their wing-backs because of this season. They had Chiodosi Bene, and he was mm. rapid on both sides. And Hollison, they fit, fit that mould to a certain degree. Um, since he's barely played, has experience in League One. Would it be worth taking a punt on him, or is the fact that he's like barely played at all last season is that an issue? It's difficult. I think there's some Rotherham fans that are maybe a little bit disappointed by the way Ola Sunday left them, and sometimes I think with with fans it's difficult sometimes to gauge like how good a player uh, somebody actually was because fans tend to go on a slightly more on the. Um, the the spiky side, I guess, if someone's left in a way that you're not necessarily happy with. So, um, yeah, I think there's um, the, that probably disappoints a lot of a lot of Rotherham fans. And then they go to PNA, I think it was, and then got um, quite a bad injury there because he, he hasn't played at all there, despite their issues at, at right wing back. So, um, yeah, it would be a bit bit of a risk, but he's done it in League One before as well. Poor Rotherham. All their, all their their spikiness towards their players and Sheffield Wednesday now coming in and just kicking them in the nuts when they're down already. That's incredibly surprising. Well, actually, no, it's not surprising. Sheffield Wednesday offered ridiculous wages to Michael Smith and the Heckway, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know how they're going to fill in. Won't do on that, but, you know, thoughts out to Rotherham. Um, right, go on, Fred. Give us your next one. Uh, another player. Gabe mentioned him earlier, actually, and who's apparently very good at crossing from the byline. Uh, very good at both ends of the pitch as a wing-back. I liked Kane Wilson when I was looking at his analytics from Forest Green. Might be in a similar point where... Again, oh, he's, he's gone to Green. Bristol City. Oh, is he really? gone? Fuck. Yeah, he's gone to Bristol City. Can we cut that out then, please? <laughs> no, move on. It's pretty show- at, least it sh- <laughs> at, least it, at least it shows you on the it'll right show- track, Fred. <laughs> it'll show you what a charlatan you are, Freddie. Yes, well... <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> no, it's very true. No, it's, it's easy. Like if you're not across the, you know, the leagues and stuff, it's quite hard to kind of have an idea. And yeah, if if you, yeah, if you try to do this alongside a full time job, sometimes the odd thing slips through. I guess. Yeah, um, and, and that's definitely that came. Wilson's gone to Bristol City. Well, well I should have had a good eye anyway. This one better be yeah. good then, Fred. Come on. 
Oh, you want another right winger? Okay, let me have a think. No, no, you, is that is that is that was that your last one? Should we move on to left wingers then? That generally was the last one as well because the rest of the rest of them can't play right wing back, so <laughs> there's no really real frank. need to mention them. Um, just as a side point, I liked Ayu Basal at AFC Wimbledon mm. as a potential player, but if you can't play right wing back, then you're not really sure how much you'll fit. Uh, and as a preference. He had a he had a reasonably poor season last season, but the season before, I just watched highlights of this player several times. Dylan Barhambula from Oldham. I don't know if he's. Oh no, I, I'm not. Are sure you about not that a fan? One. I think it was just no. the dribbling that I liked, and so nothing. Yeah, else. yeah. He's he, like on his day, he's quite an exciting player. To I mean, he was the best player in League Two in 2021. But I think that there's been huge question marks over his attitude, and I don't think Danny Cowley will want to take players on because he wants to take Barhambula on because I think. Um, he's quite big on the character of the players that he signs and he wants to feel like he can rely on them as people. And I'm not sure Bahambula is quite in that category. There you go, Joey Barton. There's a player for you. Um, <laughs> let's move on to left wingers then, Fred. Do you want to kick us off while I try and get my notes up? Yeah, sure. I've got to mention one player primarily because he was linked a lot in the papers recently. Um, was at Rotherham, had a horrible injury, so that's why they didn't choose to extend him. What do you think of Mikel Miller? Apparently, Portsmouth are looking at him as a signature. Um, I can't. There were other teams linked as well, but I can't remember who they were off the top of my head. Can you give Portsmouth fans a bit more detail about? Yeah, Miller? I think he'd be a very attacking option as a uh, left wing back because he's previously played uh, as more of a winger. I think in a four-two-three-one uh, uh, earlier in his career, and um, I think that was where he played. Did quite well at uh, Hamilton up in Scotland, um, and then was hitting Northampton for a spell on loan from Rotherham, I think. Um, but yeah, he's he would be a very attacking option as a wing back, and I think he'd probably look to try and get among the goals and be quite a creative option. So very much about getting forward, and like I'd said with Randall William, Randall Williams. I think if you sign Mikel Miller to play left wing back, it'd be really important to have a, a left-sided centre-back that's got that pace, that strength and that comfort in those 1v1 situations. Yeah, I think it would have to be the right sort of player to play on the left side because at the moment, Portsmouth have got a lot of options there. Mm-hmm. Um, as a left wing back, we've got Deborah Hume. All left wingers, we've still got Ronan Curtis, Michael Jacobs, Rico Hackett can also play in that position as well. He can hack it. <laughs> <laughs> he can hack it, yeah. So it really will take either one of those players leaving or somebody of exceptional talents to sign for Portsmouth on that side. Mm. Now, I didn't focus too much on the left side, as we mentioned, but there is one player who who crops up year after year, who I'm fanboying on this sense, and that's Josh Martin from Norwich. He's a player that's been quite talented to watch. I've watched him play, and he went out last season and he played on loan for, for Doncaster, I believe. He had a bit of a slow start. He's more of a winger, more of a creative player. He can play across the three, supposedly. But I think mm. what it what is more interesting about him is he scored, I think, three of his five goals came at... No, wait a sec, let's get that right. He got three goals and one assist in the last five games of the season and apparently looked very bright and a very good attacking talent for them. Apparently he doesn't want to drop down to League Two. He's made that quite clear. So that'd be quite interesting. He said he wants to play at the highest level possible. Uh, and I think the Doncaster manager came out and said he's going to find it difficult to retain him, even though they'd like to have him. So I want to know what your thoughts are, Gabe, on Josh Martin. Well, the interesting thing about Josh Martin, Hugh, was that, um, so at the back end of Norwich's 20, uh, 19-20 campaign, where they finished bottom of the Premier League, um, Josh Martin got a couple of sub-appearances for them and looked quite promising for them. And, um, and then... 
and that was very much as a kind of a foot withdrawn forward I think it was or maybe slightly wider um, and then I was very surprised to hear that MK Dons had loaned him with the intention of playing him as a right wing back and um, I, I remember speaking to some MK fans and they were saying no that is where Russ Martin had uh, had planned to sign him and I was thinking surely not uh, and then I think he, sure enough he did play there in some of their pre-season games then Russ Martin of course went to Swansea Liam Manning replaced him as head coach. Um, they brought in some, they had some good right wing backs that season in the end as it happened. They had Tenno Watson um, and um, and Peter Chioso in the first half of the season. So he didn't end up playing at right wing back, but it shows that maybe there's the possibility of him playing there or someone sees the potential in him in that position, as well as that ability to play further forward. And I think with Danny Cowley, we've seen that he likes that versatility in his players. Um, because he likes to switch formation a lot. So I think that would be the appeal of uh, of Josh Martin. It would be a bit of a risk because I think if he hadn't had those five games at the end of last season, um, it'd probably be one you'd probably overlook a little bit. But sometimes players that have got really good reputations at youth level and have come through, sometimes they don't necessarily, that doesn't immediately translate to senior football straight away. So maybe after a year to find his bearings, maybe he could do well in League One. We'd have, we'd have to see. Nice one. Fred? I mentioned, uh, we mentioned earlier the left-wing spot's very crowded. So this signing comes with a massive hypothetical. Mm. If a side was to come in for Ronan Curtis and he goes... And Danny Cowley wants to play Michael Jacobs as a cam in a 4-2-3-1. Another forward would be needed. I really like Anthony Scully from Lincoln City. I don't believe he's gone anywhere, even though he's highly rated. From don't Denver. think so. No. I'm going to have to check that out every single time in the background. Has a player gone already? <laughs> I actually took one player off my list because I realised he, he did he did leave. So thankfully, well, you just, that you just copy and pasted him into Google as we're going along now. Yes, <laughs> just double checking just in case. Yeah. Oh dear. But but no, Anthony Scully, I, I really rated him for Lincoln City. Just the the sheer amount of goals he scored from wide positions would easily fit in that three four three with three forwards up top. I was wondering your opinion, Guy, because I, I really rate I him, but it would take a lot for him to leave. I think again, it's another one that comes down to formation because Anthony Scully would suit uh, a four-two-three-one. He'd suit a four-three-four-three, um, but he wouldn't suit a three-five-two. And although that he would, although he was Lincoln City's biggest threat, best player arguably for large portions of last season, when Michael Appleton went to three-five-two, he played Tom Hopper and John Marquise as the two up top. And there wasn't really the room for Anthony Sterling because he's not really a wing back, um, not really a midfielder. So where where does he play? And so if Danny Cowley feels like 352 is going to be one of the prominent formations for that season, then are you going to be discounting Scully and paying a wage for him for someone that isn't necessarily going to fit in? Um, having said that, I think he brings a lot of drive. Without having searing pace, he's still got that willingness to take players on. Uh, he's got a bit of an edge, like some players that you find have come over from, from Ireland as well. Um, and he's had, he's had a couple of years... Uh, th- three years now, actually, is it? Um, two or two and a half years in English football to kind of acclimatise the tempo of, of League One as well. Um, but I think it does just come down to that formation issue and how much Danny Cowley wants to play 3 5 2. 
Mm-hmm. That is the that is the big question. And it's also a big question mark whether it actually leave Lincoln City for a massive fee. Where we mentioned earlier the board would probably, if if for example one of the better players was sold, that money would be reinvested. So that needs to be considered as well. But last season, 15 goals from just under 13 expected goals and seven assists from that side. He's still producing at that level. And some games he did end up playing left wing back, which some which you consider out of position. So that's also something okay. to consider. It's interesting, isn't it? Where would you spend the money? You sort of I sort of feel they're probably going to spend the money on a striker if you've got if you've got to spend, they have to spend the money on a striker, just purely got, down to yeah. lack of options, surely. It's got to be the thing. Um Fred, have you got any more or are we going to wrap this up now? I'm where I've got to edit this and we're what, an hour and a half in, are we? Yeah. About that, about that. I'm just going to mention one player quickly, purely because I've seen him and I like him, and I believe he's still on the free. I haven't seen him go anywhere, and I believe he was released. Shea Ojo played for Rangers. If Danny Cowley wants to go for an out and out winger, he's the sort of player. Um, 24 years old, didn't play much in the championship uh, around that time. I believe he went to a championship side, and he's now been released. He might look for a team to play him regularly for first-team football and get back on spot. And he fits in the age bracket that the board are looking at. Young players in their low to mid-20s who will go into their prime as an asset. I, I liked Shea Ojo when he, when he played for Rangers. He offered he offered a bit in terms of his crossing and his dribbling as well. I don't know, how much have you seen of Shea Ojo, Gabe, if anything? Uh, not an awful lot. I remember him uh, in his under Kenny Jacket, funny enough, in his earlier days at, at Wolves when he looked like this really quick, uh, quick winger. I think he was on loan from Liverpool at the time. And uh, you could tell that he could always sort of get to the to the byline, but his end product was was pretty ropey. And it, it doesn't feel from afar like he's necessarily progressed, even though he's now 24, which for, for a winger, you would say is kind of not far off the peak that you would expect. So, um, yeah, whether there's another burst of development in Shea Yejo, I'm, I'm not too sure. So, um, yeah, I'm not, not, not 100% on that one. I think that's another for the punt pile, to be honest, to go with the amount of free agents that are out there. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you never know. I mean, whether you could convert him into a left wing back, whether he had the work rate for, for that or whether Danny Cowley could sort of push some buttons with him, I'm not sure. I'd be interested to know what people who have seen him in more detail think about his uh, his work rate and get... I think with when it comes to wide players, um, you kind of... Broadly speaking, there's there's three things. There's the pace and directness, which Ojo's got. But then there's other two things, which is the quality of the end product, which is a broad category. Um, and there's the, the work rate. And I think that if you've got two of those three things, say pace and work rate or end product and pace or work rate and quality, you can do well as a winger at any level. But if you've just got one of those things, it becomes quite difficult. Um, and I suppose that would be the concern with Che AJ. Is he a one-dimensional player? Mm. Gabe, are there any players that you think Pompey should be looking at that we haven't mentioned so far in this massive manuscript of uh, players we've gone through? Well, goodness. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see. I think the, the most important thing is to look at the um the profile of player that Danny Cowley wants. They've got to be really strong characters. I've spoken to him actually for EFL debate. He's very big on that. Um I'm a little bit of an outside punt to this. Uh as a number 10, I'm gonna throw a name at you, John McAtee. 
at Grimsby Town. He helped them, the Mariners, to uh, promotion by beating Solihull Moors. Um, he's a very, he's kind of just got that bit of guile in that final third. He's he's ice cool at times, but there's also a directness in his game. Um, I think he's a really exciting player and I think he's still um, on the younger side, 22, 23, something like that. Uh, so again, I think he'd be another long-term investment. Grimsby, of course, have got quite a good ownership regime in place and I don't think they'll want to sell cheaply, which could be a stumbling block for Pompey in terms of transfer fees and the volume of business that you've got to do. But I think if you sign McAtee, he's someone that could be an asset and could potentially get a championship move somewhere down the line. Got a goal in the semi-final against Wrexham as well, I believe. Mm. So, so, so he seems to be a big game player. Yeah, so that's always a plus. Yeah, for sure. You know, out of all the players we've gone through today, that's going to be the one we get, right? The one that we ask gave at the end. <laughs> players to sign, but it's right. Well, I think last season we got one player right. I believe, with Ogilvy. So I think if you get one player right every time, I think that's a decent rate. I think because there were some players who. We didn't even consider. I didn't even consider Marlon Pack. I thought he was out of reach. I thought another championship team would have signed him. So there's always that balance of looking at a player's, looking at a player and thinking, oh, he'd be an excellent buyer, but is it a realistic signing? Or on the other way, you're looking too far down the leagues and looking at, oh, his analytics are brilliant. And then you look at the footage and you think, yeah, they're not going to make the step up as much as you'd like. So there's a lot, there's a lot of guessing involved, even though the amount of work we've done is quite substantial. I think we'll wrap it up there. Gabe, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm sure everyone would appreciate it. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and check you out if they don't really know? Sure. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Gab Sutton, where I talk about uh, all things EFL, really. Um, and I also have a show called EFL Debate, where I talk to players, I talk to managers, I talk to owners, uh, directors of different clubs, and I talk to fans as well. And uh, I've had a great laugh doing it, um, hoping to, in- well, I am interviewing uh, Darren McAntony, who's the Peachtree United chairman in just over a week. So really excited about that one. So I uh, have a lot of fun with it. So um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Gab Sutton and follow the hashtag EFL Debate. You, you yeah. do a lot of freelance writing work as well, don't you? I do, yeah. Do you want to rip that out? Yeah, I write for, uh, for Betvictor, the sack race, um, various um, fans bet, uh, 442. So, uh, yeah, a few, a few in there. <laughs> nice one. Go and check it out. I believe the Danny Cowley interview is actually tagged in your, uh, your yeah, Twitter bio as well. Yeah, it's pinned. There we go. Let's get the phrases out right. It's been a it's been a long old episode, boys. Thank you so much, Freddie. Thanks again, mate. Lovely to be on again, and it's it's nice to have a pod going after after a reasonable break. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I, I need to sharpen up a bit. I'm looking a bit homeless with the, the beard. Yours is always quite trim and quite sort of put together, isn't it, Freddie? I think I'm gonna have to sort myself out before. I think that's the webcam at the moment. It isn't as much. I need to sort that out. Go landscaping it. But until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!